If you will, this morning, turn with me to our text, which will be found in 1 John chapter 2. It'll be 1 John chapter 2, the first two verses. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, reads this way. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let us pray. O Lord, how gracious thou art. How worthy thou art, O Lord. For truly thy ways, which are higher than ours, are perfect and just and holy. O Lord, I pray at this hour that thou would open the heavens for thy people, that as thy Son intercedes for us this day, Lord, I pray that you would drop, drop thy truth into our souls and come with power, that we may know, Lord, our advocate, what he is pleading on our behalf, and Lord, how glorifying it is unto thee. O Lord, may you Bless this time now with thy anointing, and may thy presence be known and felt for the glory of thee. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the last couple of weeks, I came home from work one day, and I, my mail was sitting for me on my desk, and I opened it up, and sure enough, it said summons on the top of it. So now, I'm 49 years old, and this will be the fifth time I've been called to jury duty four times on the county level, one time on the uh, federal level. Well, it got me thinking about the whole legal process. It got me thinking about, my mind started going to those times I've sat in the courtroom. Thankfully, I've been in the jury seat and not the defendant um, or the plaintiff. I thought about it a lot and I thought how unworthy I am to sit there and judge another man. I truly am. I truly am unworthy to judge another. But I, I had greater blessed thoughts that I have an advocate. When I think of how today's system, and we all complain about it, we all complain about how our justice system isn't just. But I think when the Lord reveals to us, as he has in our passage today, how just his system is. That he has given his people an advocate. A lawyer, if you will, to plead our case. And when he goes before the righteous judge, it's not like today's courtrooms where the judge can be corrupt. The judge actually sent the lawyer to be our advocate. So as we sit in this courtroom of the Father, we are acquitted, we're forgiven, and it's because we have the judge on our side, but we have one that argues the case to the judge, and he doesn't plead our merit. He pleads his merits. That's why these two verses have to go together. We have an advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he argues is his 
propitiation. His work. His, what He has done to satisfy. And that's all that word means is the satisfaction of justice. He has satisfied the justice of God. And sometimes I know in this day and age and we listen to people and how they look at sin and we think, well, you know, the Lord just overrules sin or overlooks sin. The Lord never overlooks sin. It must be punished. He is a perfect, just, and holy God who hates sin. And He did that. And for His children, those sins have been atoned for. Those sins have been paid for. And they've been paid for by the Advocate. Not only is it the one who's arguing our case, but it's the one who's arguing based on His merits for what He has done. It's what He's done. And He comes before the Father and He says, Accept these. Because I'm making this argument. Their, their righteousness is my righteousness. My blood has covered their sins. You can't see their sins. They're holy because they're in me. And the Father accepts us in the Beloved. And as I said, I, I thought about that in light of my situation and, and in God's providence bringing that into my life again. And it set me thinking about what truly life is what a true judge is and what a holy judge is and what a, a holy advocate is I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Luke 17.10 where he says so likewise when you have done all those things which are commanded you say we are unprofitable servants we have done that which was our duty to do as Jesus was talking to them and teaching them about servants and their servitude, we don't look at the Lord and say, look how we merited what your, your grace and what favor you've bestowed. I've done this. I've chosen you. I've done these things. No. At the end of the day, who we are is an unprofitable servant. It's not what we've done. It's what we're made in Christ Jesus that is acceptable. It is who we are in Christ that is acceptable. It is who we are as the Lord brings us to see and as the Father looks down and sees us in His Son, sees us clothed with His righteousness, sees us standing there at the bar acquitted. Your sins have been forgiven you. You've been washed in the blood. You've been made whole. You're a perfect bride presented unto me by the one who has argued your case. By the one who has performed all things for you. So I want to look at our text today and I want to look at it in depth as the Holy Spirit is pleased to take the things of Christ and to reveal them to us today. We begin with three little words, my little children. John, as a preacher of the word and as one who wrote to the elect lady and as one who wrote to the church, he addressed it in great love toward them. And he said, my little children, but there's, there's depth behind that word children. Children are dependent. Children are, are needy. Children are dependent upon the one who's taking care of them. We can never never extrapolate 
these two verses out of where they sit. This is one of those times in the Word of God that man came along and they put a chapter division in there. But it's not really a division. This bleeds down from what was written to us in the first chapter, the opening part of the letter. And if you look at that, starting in verse 5, John says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, which we have heard of Christ, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. God is light. There is no unrighteousness in Him. There is no sin in Him. He is perfectly holy. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, if we say that, if we go on record as to saying that we have fellowship with this Lord of these Scriptures, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. As we walk after the flesh, as we have the raiments of sin, as we live in sin, not dwell in sin, as we live in sin, and we're going to see that here in a minute, as we live each day as sinners, if we confess that we're not sinners, we're in a ditch. Because you're going to see that in this passage. There is one way in Christ. Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So when his sheep come behind him, as he calls them, as he brings them in this path, there is one path of righteousness. When we stray from that path, if we go too far to the left, we fall in the ditch of presumption, where we say we're not that bad, where we say we have no sin. John's going to cover that in a minute when he says that you sin not. Because that sin of presumption is what he's talking about right here in these verses 6 through 10. When we come and we say, no, we haven't sinned, Lord. We know you died on the cross for us, so you took our sins away so that we could go out and live any way that we want to. The Apostle Paul said, God forbid that that thought would ever cross your mind. And God forbid that we would think that we're not still sinners in need of His blood to be applied to us. But there's another side of the ditch too. And when we fall into that ditch, that's the dwelling upon sin. Woe is me, I'm nothing but sin. I have no salvation. I have nothing. I'm unworthy of salvation. All of that is true. But that mark which he says here, And if any man sin, that's that other side of the ditch. When we fall into that ditch and we start to wallow in it, he tells us the gospel truth. We have an advocate. We have one that will plead our cause on his merit. So let's remember that this morning, those two sides of the ditch. As we read 6 through 10 leading up, we know what's in John's mind. We know what the Holy Spirit is impressing upon John as he's writing this. We do not the truth if we say, if we walk in the darkness and we say that it's light, it is not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Our fellowship one with another with the brethren is in the light. 
We have much darkness fellowship with one another. We get encumbered and weighed down with the things of our personal lives and what's going on in this world and those things we want to share with people at times and then they'll share back what's, what's cumbering them and all of a sudden we're in a fest of, of not looking at the Lord's benevolence, unthankfulness. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's that propitiation. That's that one. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. It's not do-gooders. It's not do more. It's not follow some, some uh, book, do better. Wesley's Creed that says as long as I'm here I'm going to do more and I'm going to do more for man, more for man, more for man. What does that get you? It gets you a love of man is what it gets you. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, that's that first part right there, that you sin not. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. However, this is the other side. If the Lord works that great, what we call repentance. When the Lord gives us that sorrow over sin. And we confess those sins. We say, Lord, we're sinners. And we cry out, Lord, I'm a sinner. But the crying out isn't enough. The Holy Spirit births the cry. But He also asks for the application. He makes us to cry out for the blood of the Lamb to be applied to us. Not that we're just sinners. Oh Lord, I'm a sinner. Yes, we are sinners. But we're in need of His blood. We're in need to be washed in that fountain. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He is our advocate. He is our propitiation. He is our atonement. He is our sacrifice. He is our altar. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Righteousness is that term. When you see the justice of God, that's where you see righteousness. You can't understand righteousness if you don't understand God's justice. And God never sacrifices His justice on the altar of mercy. They go hand in hand. We hear a lot about God's love. And true, it is. It's deep and it's unfathomable. And it's wonderful, and it is. But He doesn't sacrifice His love for justice. His justice shall be satisfied, and it was satisfied out of love of sending His Son to die for His people. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. Those are strong words. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you, these things that I just wrote, that you sin not. May this be a deterrent to you not to sin when you see what sinning is. And, and, and the opposite, the sin of presumption is to say, I'm not a sinner. Don't say that, dear ones. Don't even think that, dear ones. Don't ever think. The Apostle Paul said, it's not that I've attained. 
He never attained a sinless life. Not in His flesh. In His Lord. In His Lord. In His Lord's merit. In Christ in Him, the hope of glory. That was the sinless part of Paul. That is the sinless part of you and I if we be in Christ. But oh, how wrong it is. How presumptuous it is to say, I'm not a sinner. I didn't sin that way. That's not me. I didn't that that's not meant for me. If any that you sin not. That you sin not. That's that side of presumption. That's that side that's talked about in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. There's deception there. But then as I said, he quickly goes, and if any man sin. That if is translated when in the Greek. And when man sins. When you sin. And by the way, we're only talking about the people of God. That's what it says. But also for the sins of the whole world. That's the world of the elect. That's who he's addressing it to, the elect lady. That's the one that, that John wrote to the church. That's the one that Jesus died for. That's the one the Father elected. And if any man sin. So when we go to that side and we, we use that terminology and presumption to say, I was a sinner. Oh, I, I used to, to be that. Yes, there are things the Lord has delivered us from, but not have we been delivered from that old nature. It is still antagonizing us in us. We are still provoked to sin by the wicked one. We still have the world enticing us and saying, come over here, come over here, sin this way. And if any man sin, he knew it. He said, man, we know you're going to sin. So as you do, don't wallow down there in the mud of self-pity. Don't wallow down there because you are fallen. You are fallen man. And because you're fallen, you will sin. And this is no way in any shape or form an excuse for sinning. It's when you do sin. When you do sin, you have an advocate. You have an advocate with the Father. See, that advocate's not with man. It's not with self. It's not with the world. He pleads our cause, which our cause is on His merits. He pleads that with the righteous judge of the world. The Father. This is my Father's world. It's all His. And the Son says to the Father, Listen, this one is forgiven. This one is holy because He's in me. This one's debt is paid. He owes nothing. This one, look at the robe of righteousness upon Him. And the Father says, wow, that's my Son's righteousness. We have an advocate. We have that one who will plead for us. This is the Gospel. This is 
what we're talking about now. This is the gospel that the, the child of God longs to hear not just once. And he can't just hear it on Sunday. He can't. Because every day of the week, our feet get polluted with the mire of this world and our sins. We need to hear the voice of the shepherd tell us that we're forgiven. Tell us that he's making that argument for us. He is the pro- we, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I got a trio of verses for you first here. Let me just read down a little bit more. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's why I said that's the end of our text today. So, picture this argument. And why he's arguing. He's arguing it based on, I have satisfied your justice. You know, when we think of the cross, and I'll speak of myself now, sometimes I fall into the trap of thinking about the nails in his hands and thinking about the crown of thorns upon his head and thinking about the ridicule and thinking about him getting slapped and thinking of him getting beaten. And think of the spear in his side and the nails in his feet. And I think about that sometimes and I dwell there. And I think, and I'll sit there and I'll say, wow, that was horrible. Horrible death for my Lord and Savior. But I'm going to reverently say something. That was nothing compared to Him being our propitiation from Him standing in our place, having the wrath of the Father poured out upon Him for our sins, upon His soul. You let that sink down as the Holy Spirit comes and teaches that to you. It was egregious what happened to His body. But the pouring out of this, the Father's wrath upon his soul. The separation of the Father that he could not look upon him because he was so holy. That's what he's pleading for us. I stood in their place. I satisfied your holy justice. He is the propitiation for our sins. Those trio of verses, I promise you. Romans 3.26 says this, To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believed in Jesus. That's Jesus. He is the just one and the justifier. He stood in our place. He is our justification. He is. It's not a word. It's not a theological word. It's a person. It's Christ. He is our justification. That's what that says. He is the just and justifier. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For He has made Him to be sin for us. This is our propitiation. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's God's righteousness. 
that we are made in Him. He is our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Let that, as the Holy Spirit comes and takes that, and understand that word, made holy. You are acquitted. You are not guilty. Your sins are put away. That term and that justice being satisfied is why we can understand righteousness, holiness, without spot, without blemish. We can't understand that in ourselves because we do continue to sin. But in Christ, what He's done, this is what He's pleading. He's not pleading you and I up there going, oh, you see, Sean, He just helped that lady across the street. Did you see what He did? He just preached that sermon. Did you see what He did? He, he gave to that poor guy. He didn't have any money. He's not pleading those things. Those are nothing. You're going to see that in a minute in this perfect picture that we have for us in the Word of God. Those things are nothing if they're not wrought in and of Christ, if it's not His work. He pleads His work, His merit, His blood. Of course, Romans 8.33 tells us who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. Who? can lay anything to the charge of God's elect, it is God that justifies. It is that righteous judge that pronounces and says, not guilty. This one has argued a perfect case. And there's no doubt in it. That's what I'm trying to say. That's why it's an imperfect example. We go to trial now, we're waiting on that judge to say, you know, and the jury to say, well, is he guilty? Is he not guilty? This courtroom, if you will, the judge and the advocate are always ruling in our favor. Always. It's never you're guilty. There's never an exacting of the penalty again. It's been paid for. It'll never be paid for twice. It was paid for in the perfect surety, in the perfect propitiation, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, the whole church. Now we're going to come back here, but I want you to go to the one place we're going to go today, and that's in Zechariah 3. If you'll turn over with me to Zechariah 3. A little background now as you're turning. Zechariah had some visions. He had eight of them. And they all came in a night. And all of them were revealing the Lord Jesus Christ to him in different ways. This is Christ the conqueror. This is Christ the this is the Holy Spirit that will come. That's in Zechariah 5, I believe. Well, in verse in chapter 3, what was revealed to Zechariah was Jesus Christ the advocate. Was God the righteous judge? And we're not going to read all of it, but we'll just read the first four verses this morning to give us. This picture, this is laid out for us beautifully here. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Joshua was the priest at the time that they had just been taken captive from, to Babylon. 
they were now being returned and Joshua was the one that was the priest over the remnant of people there. And he showed me Joshua. And Zechariah was their prophet, by the way. So he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is always pictured to us to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's no different here. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now there's our picture of our everyday life. As we walk into every vocation, as we go to our home to teach or home to to be with our family, as we go to work, wherever we go, we have this quote-unquote warfare going on. We have one that will always plead our cause, and that is the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's one that's a deceiver. The Revelation 12 says has been a deceiver from the beginning. The wicked one. Always pointing out, making accusation. He's an accuser. He was an accuser from the beginning. What is he accusing us of? You broke God's law. You broke that law of that God that you think that you should. You sinned again. You just did that again. You had that unholy thought. You just had that thought. Look how that, oh, you saw that on TV. Look where it, look, where'd your mind go? That's what you did. You're unworthy. That's the accuser. And Joshua is standing there now in this picture. This is a night vision, as I said. Standing at his right, Satan was standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, and don't miss this, it's the only way that he can flee. It's the only way that this this one's mouth will be shut. The Lord said unto Satan, this is the angel of the Lord, the Lord rebuked thee. That's my father. That's the judge. That's the advocate saying, my father rebuke you. My father. Say, get thee behind me, Satan. The Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. That's my Father who has elected this one. I am arguing His cause before this righteous judge. And He says, that's why I said, this isn't isn't a traditional courtroom. Well, we don't know who's on whose side and we don't know which one's going to make a better argument. There's one argument. And that is made by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the one whom the Father said, I am well pleased with this one. And what I say, I say, hear ye him? I hear him. I hear him. And what he makes his argument for for Joshua, he makes for his people. And he says to, to the judge, tell this lawyer or whatever he is, this accuser, to hush his mouth. Tell him to shut up. He has no claims. This is one that you have chosen from the beginning. This is one that you elected in me. Tell him. Tell him. Put him down. Shut his mouth. The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. The advocate comes and says, I love him. I'm arguing for Him. I've died for Him. 
It is my blood that covers him. And the very presence of me standing before you as this advocate is proof, is proof that you have accepted my argument, that you have listened and you have authored my argument because the two are one. That's what's different about our legal system. It's corrupt. What we're seeing is a perfect legal system. A righteous judge, a righteous lawyer. And the argument, and it's in perfect concert. And they, they make the perfect argument. And the argument is received. And the not guilty verdict comes down. And there's no other argument. There's no other accuser. They're going, oh, but, 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 but what I said. No, you don't hear the accuser anymore. You won't. He's been shut up. And then the question is not this brand plucked out of the fire? Is this not one of yours, Lord? Is this not one elected before the foundation of the world? Is this not one that's been taken out of this, this fallen race of men? Is this not one that's been elected in, the, in me? Yes. Yes, it is. That's the argument. He's making the argument, being safe and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we're told something about Joshua. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Well, wait a minute. He's the priest. Isn't that what that said? Joshua was the high priest, which is the highest honor that you could give man on the face of the earth at that time. But what's he standing in? Filthy garments. Because Joshua's a sinner. He's a sinner saved by grace. You and I are sinners. That's what John is, is trying to tell us. This is magnifying the depth of grace. It's magnifying the depth of the Father's love, the Son's love, the Holy Spirit's love to bring this to us, to show us this is what Christ has done. This is what the Father elected. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and he stood before the angel what is the angel going to do? What can, what can Joshua do? He's standing there in all his quote-unquote glory, which isn't glorious. It's filthy. And he's got nowhere to go. And he's got an accuser that's been put down that says, no, you have nothing to say. But as Joshua looks up to the, the angel and he says, well, what do I have to offer? I have nothing but filthy garments. How different that is from today's religion about our merit and what we can bring and our obedience and all these things. They're filthy rags. It's how the Lord sees them. But, good news again. Here comes the Advocate. Here He comes in verse 4, and He answered and spoke unto those that stood before Him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from Him. Take them away. Put him in my garments. Put him in my righteousness. Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. That's the gospel. 
That's Jesus Christ, our advocate. I have put your sins. I am the propitiation. That's what John's telling us today. We have an advocate that pleads our cause, but he pleads it according to what he's done. Yes, you're in your filthy garments, but the Lord takes them away and He puts that change of raiment, His righteousness upon us. That's why it's an equally egregious sin to sit there and wallow in sin because we've been delivered from it. We've been washed from it. Oh, if we could just get to that fountain. Well, He brings us to that fountain and He washes us in that. And He's faithful, and that's what First John told us. He was faithful and just to do that. If we go back to our text. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has put that sin away. That's what He said. I put it away. Another trio of verses for you, and we'll begin in Matthew 26, 28, where Jesus says, For this, is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Because that's what we're told. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. His blood was the perfect sacrifice, and there will never be another sacrifice. No matter what man offers, it will never be an effectual sacrifice that Christ did once and applies to His children the power of it over and over and over again. Hebrews 9, 12, and 14 say this, Neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place. Having obtained eternal redemption for us, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, let's never forget that, perfect working of the Trinity. The Trinity is always, always together and unified in the unity of the Trinity working out the purpose of the one true God. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's what He does by bathing us in His blood. And then 1 John 4.10 tells us, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's what love is. That's what John's message is to us this morning. That's what I pray the Holy Spirit's message is to us in this hour. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. O Lord, may You add Thy power. May You add Thy comfort. And may you add thy presence for the glory of thee. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.